Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, Nathan here. Welcome back to another interview. Today we're speaking with Adam D'Angelo, who's the co-founder of Quora, which is one of the most visited websites in the world. He went to school with Mark Zuckerberg and he's one of the most respected tech founders on the planet. So if you want to know how to build a really large tech startup, then you're going to absolutely love this interview. So Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? You know, I, I guess when I was in, in middle school, I... I started learning how to program and it was just a, a kind of a random coincidence. The way I got started, one of my friend's older brothers had figured out how to use uh, QBasic, which was this, this programming environment and showed him. And then he showed me and we started playing around with it in, in, uh, in school. And I got, uh, I got excited about it. And I, I went home and I learned a lot of how to program through, through this, QBasic system. And I started making games and some other friends who I knew who were doing the same thing. And, and, and I basically learned to program through, through that. Later, when I was in high school, I got into programming contests. And I, I think that was what kind of was able to really take my skill to the next level. I basically developed this, hab- this hobby outside of, uh, outside of school of building um, at first, it was making games, and then when the internet came along, uh, I kind of shifted to um, making internet products, and it was just it was just for fun. 
at the beginning, but that just eventually, you know, grew into what you'd now call my job. I never really thought of it as a job myself. And, you know, just, I think I'm very fortunate to have had a hobby that turned out to be, you know, uh, economically important in the world. And so, you know, so you're able to turn it into your job and your profession, but, um, but for me, it was really, it was really a hobby to, to start. So tell us about Quora. How, how did that concept come about? Like, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the most used, you, you visited websites in the world. Yeah. So let's see. So, so in, in 2009, I was figuring out what I wanted to, to work on next. And I looked at a lot of different ideas and I kept going back to this feeling that the internet was not really living up to its potential and the knowledge that was out there in the world was just much, much greater than what was available on, on the internet. And there had always been this kind of dream or this promise of, of the internet that it would let everyone come together and, and share their knowledge. And when I looked at the, the services that were out there at the time that would let people do that, it was basically forums and these other Q&A services. Probably the most popular one at the time was Yahoo Answers. But there, were, there was a whole kind of long tail of, of different Q&A sites. And I, I think most people looked at those products and they kind of had the conclusion that if you build a product like this, it might be good to start, but eventually it's going to end up very low quality. Um, because that was how those products had turned out. And to me, it was the, the low quality outcomes and the, the way these products were like not quite working and, but getting very popular despite not quite working um, to me was evidence of, I, I, I thought the people who created those products had just structured them wrong and they had set up the wrong incentives and the, the nature of how the system worked um, had caused them to not really reach their potential. And so, so we, we thought about what we could do better. And, and we really thought that if we came along and we built a system that aligned everyone's interests and rewarded people who wrote good answers, that we, we thought that there was just going to be a very big market there. And, uh, and with that market, you know, we thought we could um, you know, be able to build a, um, a really good company. You said something um, that really struck my curiosity that I'd love to dive into deeper. You said that back in 2009, you didn't feel like the internet was, was really living its potential. Like, like, why did you feel like, can we delve a little bit deeper on that? Cause that's a big, bold statement. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the idea of the internet at the, at the time, uh, mo- mobile phones weren't very big back then, but the idea was that you'd have computers all over the world, everyone have access to the internet through their computers and you have this network so that anyone could talk to anyone. And that, and I, you know, I think the idea was that if you have the whole world connected, then there's just this immense value because everyone in the world has had all these experiences and they've learned things and they've, they've gone through their life and they've studied things in school and They've they've uh, learned how to be good at whatever their profession is, um, but all of that is just kind of trapped in in their head, and and so the internet should have the potential to to just unlock all of that for for access for for everyone else, um, but you know in order to do that you need to 
motivate people to to want to share what they know and you need to structure it so that people find out what other people want to know and there's a lot of uh nuance and 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 hard work involved in in making all that work and just the internet at the time it was it's a lot of websites and there were things like search engines there were social networks but each of those i think were kind of just just doing only a, a sliver of of what's really possible with with this technology of of the internet and then obviously you know that that was 2009 i think since then mobile phones have come along and they just greatly expanded the the market and the the potential to reach even more people um and you know now things like machine learning have developed and you can now you can do do a lot more with that too so yeah so i i just i don't know i i guess it was just intuition but it just felt like there was really uh not the same kind of potential that that uh or the the products that were out there just didn't were not reaching the potential look i really resonate with your mission and I'd love to go back um, in, in some of the earlier stages in your journey to kind of really understand how kind of you've got the experiences that you've had and, and taken that to building Quora. So um, I understand you went to actually school with Mark Zuckerberg, you, you were an early employee at Facebook. Um, what was that like going to school with, with, with Mark? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was high school. So, you know, I, I had a bunch of friends and, uh, there was, there was a subset of people at, uh, at the school we were at that got into, uh, into programming. And so I, I got to know him a bit through that. Um, after school, we, uh, after high school, he went to Harvard, I went to Caltech. And so we, I kind of went our, our own ways for, for a while. And then eventually, um, he started Facebook and, um, asked me for a bunch of advice on it. I started kind of informally advising them. And then in, uh, in 2005, uh, it's interesting. Actually, the, the person who finally convinced me to join Facebook was, uh, was Sean Parker, um, who you, you may have, uh, you may know, you may have heard about, uh, but he, he was, he, he, he had a very convincing, um, kind of explanation for, for what was gonna, um, you know, basically the potential of, of, of that product. Yeah, I see. And and you were CTO for for some years at Facebook. What can you talk us through those early days and those experiences and, and any interesting stories that really helped you that you learned from to go off and build Quora as well? It's just I'd have to ask mm-hmm. because I know our audience would find this fascinating. Yeah, so you know, I, I didn't start out as CTO. I started out as an basically an engineer role, just writing code myself. And um, I my first uh, project over uh this was summer of 2005 uh was to build this um ad serving system for facebook because the the existing code that was doing that was uh it was just it was it was slow and and it didn't work and uh and so i started out doing that and we were able to get that to a decent spot pretty quickly but facebook was going through a growth phase and so there's a lot new a lot of new users every week and uh, this was a scalability problem, and and back at that time there was no AWS, right? So um, Facebook was being hosted off this set of servers in a in a data center that Facebook the company actually had to own and operate the the servers, um, and that's just I, I think anyone who's writing code today should really appreciate not having to to deal with the the machines. You know, we had all these kind of like logistical problems where you'd have to like go drive down to the data center when there were certain problems. You'd have 
you traffic grows, then you uh, you don't have more servers to just turn on the way you can with with AWS. And so um, we got into a, a number of situations where the only way for us to to not have the site go down the next day was to optimize the code that that was running to make it faster. Um, and so I, 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 me and a few other engineers at the time, we had a lot of like just very hard work, just sprints through the night a few times to just how can we make this go faster so that we can, you know, with this finite set of servers that we're, this is all we have, um, we have to just, uh, you know, make it so that it can now support 10% more users because that that's what we know is going to happen the, the next day. There would be these times like, like on Halloween, uh, everyone would go out and take photos and then come back the next day and upload them to Facebook. And, and so it's like known that this is going to be a, a huge issue um, the day before. Uh, and yeah, so I, I worked on, I worked on this ad system. I worked on a lot of scalability stuff. I worked on the, the first version of newsfeed um, and, and a number of other things. Um, it was really, it was a really great educational process to kind of just see a company from the inside. Uh, I'd say, I think I really, you know, I, I had gotten to be good at programming on my own, but the kind of software engineering that you need to do to, to run a service like this and make everything scale and keep it manageable. Um, it was a, it was really incredible education and, in, in that whole process from, from that first year that I was there. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. So kind of, um, any kind of like lessons that you'd like to share with our audience of early stage startup founders from kind of your early days at Facebook, anything that you think would be valuable that you've taken to Quora? Um, cause yeah, look, it sounds like those were crazy times, but probably something you'd look back on and, and think, wow, that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think one of the things that people don't appreciate about that that time period at Facebook from, from the outside is it was not a smooth ride. Um, there were a lot of different times when people were unhappy or felt like uh, we should have sold the company. Um, there was, you know, there was a period. I remember one day around the office, there was... Uh, somehow someone mentioned that, um, who was it? Uh, some media company had offered $200 million for, for the company. And I remember there was discussion about, this was not like an official company discussion, but this was just a gossip among the employees about like, wow, that's like, if you look at our revenue, that's like, there's no way like this company is going to be worth that much. Um, and so like, you know, what, uh, uh, what are we doing here? And, you know, that, that's, there's something just like, you know, you know, this is a good job as an employee, but seems like whoever's in charge is not making good decisions. Then later on, there was this whole, uh, Yahoo, Yahoo tried to buy Facebook. And that was, again, there was a really low morale for, for maybe six months after that, because, People felt like they'd gotten all their their hopes up, and um, and then got disappointed by it. And so, you know, it was it was hard. There was there was a lot of things that that had to happen to make Facebook really get into the position where you know you, you see it today, um, or even you know how, how you imagine it must have been ten years ago. But 
it th th there was a lot of inside it did not feel like this kind of like smooth ride everything's up and to the right and, and i think that's important for you know for young entrepreneurs starting a company i think if, if even facebook had this very rocky period um and a lot of you know had a lot of in, internal discontent then you know you shouldn't expect that that it's going to be a smooth ride you know you should expect that there's going to be periods where you know facebook one one period i was at facebook they growth just basically like totally leveled out and it was it was just looking like not you know what's going to happen that this was basically facebook had saturated the college market and and it was very difficult to figure out what to do to to get out of that um so yeah i don't know things are going to come with with ups and downs i, I think you know go, going back to cora there's uh, I think one of the lessons I really took away from Facebook is focusing on the long term. So Facebook compared to competitors, so competitors, things like it was MySpace, High Five, Friendster, a lot of those other companies made a lot of kind of short sighted decisions. And those were things like um, just kind of plastering ads everywhere, um, not investing in technology because that's you know, that's expensive. Um, MySpace had a limit where you could only upload I think eight photos and then Facebook, we launched this photo product and it was unlimited. And it was only possible because um, the, you know, the investors and the leadership was willing to make a bet. And a lot of the other companies weren't willing to, to do this. So I, I think just focusing on the long term has been very important for, for us. I think when I look at the other um, Q&A products in, in our market, it seemed like I, I talked to people who worked at them and it, it seemed like there was a consistent theme of management not being willing to make long-term investments um, and not investing in in the technology or the the systems that were going to be necessary to um to keep quality high or to to personalize the experience for people so um so anyway that, that, was, that was just a big big lesson for me mm, yeah that's awesome thank you for sharing um so you actually came up with the idea for Quora while you were at Facebook and uh, you and Charlie ended up going out on your own and, and building this other incredible company, Quora. I'm curious kind of what compelled you and Charlie to go out on your own while, you know, you you had a good thing going on, like you're at one of the largest companies in the world. You wouldn't have known that at the time, but yeah, like I, I'd love to hear kind of the decision-making process there. Yeah. So, so first, I just want to clarify. I, uh, I I left Facebook in middle of 2008, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, and the reason, so I, I had been at Facebook for about three years, and you know, I think from the the story I just told, uh, there was a feeling for most of that where it was kind of like things were on fire. It was going to be really bad. I, I was playing a really critical role that it would have been really bad if I wasn't there, um, and that was that was really motivating to me. Um, I'd always wanted to start a company and as, as Facebook grew, it got to a much more stable phase where it felt like it was going to be fine, whether I was there or not. Um, and, you know, I was lucky, I think, to be at that age and, you know, where, where that, where I was in my career then. And, and I felt like the way I could have the most impact on the world would be to, I um, mean, to take what I had learned and, and start a company. Um, and. I, you know, and I, that, that's still, you know, what motivates me today. How can I have the most impact on the world? But I think that, you know, it's, I, I think a lot of people look at like decision to leave a company like that as, 
you know, crazy or wild or whatever. But to me, it was just, I wanted to, to do something that easily create something that maybe wouldn't have existed at all if, if I didn't create it. And I wasn't sure exactly what I would do. And so I, I spent actually a, quite a bit of time, maybe six months after leaving Facebook, just exploring different ideas and figuring out what was really like a good, um, a good market to, to go into. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Can you talk us through kind of how you brought Quora to life, what that first year looked like? Did you, yeah, talk us through. Yeah, so uh, so me and uh, Charlie, my, my co-founder, we both had engineering backgrounds and I knew that the critical ingredient to, to build a new consumer internet product um, besides engineering was design. And, and I had kind of learned and learned to appreciate that from, from working with some of the designers at, at Facebook. And so I went out to, uh, to try to recruit a designer, talked to a lot of different people. Um, eventually I came across uh, Rebecca Cox, who um, she had been at Facebook and she had left Facebook to go work at a, um, a different design agency. Um, and she was, uh, I think she was not super happy there. And, uh, she, we ended up convincing her to, to join us. Um, so the, the three of us, we kind of squeezed into this tiny office space in, in downtown Palo Alto. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was really, really small. Uh, we, we worked super hard for, for most of that year of 2009. Um, toward the end of the year, we hired uh, one more engineer, um, and and then it was the the four of us that that just worked on the product until the beginning of 2010 uh, when when we launched. And I, I think it was it was a really fun time that year, um, just working really hard. We didn't because we hadn't launched the product, we didn't have uh, the kind of like burdens of the ongoing operations of the the product to run. So we could focus entirely on just development and we just every week we made it a little better we, we iterated and iterated um at one point we we invited some of our friends we had we had a prototype that we had run early on um that got uh some kind of positive feedback and some negative feedback and we learned from that and then we we rebuilt the product um that, that was actually an interesting experience so at first we were thinking about the product as a kind of, so the, the idea was some people have questions and some people want to answer questions and core is going to be like a, a matchmaking product, like a marketplace where you're going to 
connect people who want to ask questions with people who want to answer questions. And so we built the product, the product around that idea. And we had a bunch of our friends come in and, and try it out. And we learned from that experience that as much as people liked asking questions and writing answers, the thing people really liked was reading the answers to other people's questions. And, you know, it's, it, might, it sounds obvious today that, that that's what you would want to do, but at the, it's kind of a different framing of the problem from, from just like matchmaking between askers and, and answerers. And so based on that learning, we kind of just reoriented the whole product around this idea of reuse of answers. So the idea that like one person will ask a question, but that's actually going to be a gen generic question that other people later might have. And someone who's writing an answer is not just answering for the, the asker, they're answering for this whole audience of uh, you know, everyone who will ever have that question. And so a lot of the core product has been built around that idea. And I think that's, that's one of the things that's really helped us ensure quality relative to the, the other Q&A products. One thing that strikes me is kind of you guys are like the best in the world at SEO, right? Like any, any query, you know, it's usually the core's responses. Um, or, so I'm curious, at what point in time did you guys consider SEO and, and all that piece of the puzzle? Because that's how you get the strong network effects, right? Oh, and also inviting other users and getting other users to contribute and building that ecosystem. But yeah, at what point in time did you guys consider that? Yeah, you know, we, we actually did some research before we started the company about these other similar products. And it actually, it seemed to us that one of the ways some of those products had gone wrong was to, to optimize too much for, for SEO. So we've always had from the beginning this principle that we're going to build a good product and we're going to make this product, one of the things this product is good at is generating the best page on the internet for someone who has a question to, to read the answers. Um, and so that, that's one of our goals, but we don't have a goal to like rank at the top on Google or to get a certain amount of Google traffic. We think that that's a kind of downstream consequence of creating a, a page that a lot of people want to access. Um, and Google's interest is in getting people to the, the content that they're looking for. And so we, we've always thought that if we just focus on how do we create the best pages for people who have these questions, then um, that's going to be in Google's interest to, to rank us well. But we don't optimize for it directly in the way that, you know, I, I think some other companies will have these huge SEO teams. We don't have any team that's like an SEO team. We just have, you know, goals around producing better answers to questions and, and making sure that it's a really good experience to to visit a question page on Quora. Yeah, wow. Okay, awesome. That's a really interesting uh, answer. Thank you for sharing. So um, talk to us about kind of that, the early stages, what the first version of the platform look like and, and how long did it take to bring that to life? Yeah, so the first version of the platform, it was pretty simple. It had, uh, you know, we, we only supported desktop. There was no mobile app at the time. Uh, this was before the, you know, the, the iPhone and, and the, development, um, just really uh, getting oriented around mobile. Uh, we, yeah, we only supported desktop. We had, it, it was pretty simple. We did a lot of things manually. We didn't have a lot of things automated. We didn't do machine learning for everything. Um, it was just a time-ordered feed. You could choose which people you want to follow and which topics you want to follow. And 
Uh, yeah, so it's a pretty bare bones experience. Every product, every network effect product like Cora has a chicken and egg kind of cold start problem where, you know, why would anyone come and ask questions here if no one's going to answer them, uh, if no one's there to answer them? And why would anyone come to write answers here if no one's there asking questions? And so you got to get over this, this cold start problem. Uh, so, so what we did was we had uh, each of us, there was four of us who had built the, the first version of the, the product. And we each invited a bunch of our friends. I think we ended up inviting about 500 people total. And we sent this message to them. We, we were kind of um, drawing on our, our social capital. The message was basically, hey, we've been building this thing and it's not going to work perfectly yet. But just as a favor to us, anytime you have a question that you think of, can you come and, and ask that question on this product? And anytime you see a question that you could answer, can you just go and, and answer it? And, uh, and you know, it was, it, it was, it was really, we're really drawing on uh, kind of like this altruistic uh, behavior because, because the network effects weren't there and the scale wasn't there. Um, and, and so we sent this out to about 500 people and it was most people I'd say, I'd say probably 90% of them didn't, didn't participate at all. They're just, you know, they're busy, they're doing other things, you know, you get this request and you're just like, ah. um, but I think, you know, about 10% of the people, I think it was especially appealed to people who like had a bunch of free time on their hands or, um, in between jobs or maybe like students who, um, had a little more time or people, so it was, some people just really loved the product. So that this 10% of the people we invited got really into it. And even though it was just 50 people, they were, you know, they were all friends of ours and they didn't all know each other, but they all had something in common, um, because they knew us. And, and so this little community formed among the, the 50 kind of engaged users early on. And then we, we allowed them to invite their friends. And then it just kind of the momentum started to build from there. Um, we, we, were, we were kind of micromanaging everything very closely to make sure that things, people, everyone had good experiences. Um, but, you know, they just, it just got this momentum from, from them. And then we let their friends invite other people. And, and so for, uh, for, you know, the, the rest of, 2010, we just kind of grew very quickly off of this, uh, this cycle of, of people inviting their friends. I'm really curious around success metrics, kind of how did you guys measure success apart from, I guess, usership? How did you measure quality of answers? Like how, how did you maintain that? You know, in the early days, we didn't actually really measure anything. We were just going on our own experience of the product, using the product ourselves and making judgments. Um, you know, we, we would, we'd look at the questions people were asking. We'd look at the answers people were writing. We'd talk to these people, we'd get feedback. Um, and we didn't really have a strong focus on data at that point. You really can't cause you don't have big enough numbers. So, so it's hard to, um, it's hard to really use metrics at, at that stage as we got further along, um, then we started to invest more in, in metrics. And, you know, I'd say today core is a very, uh, quantitative company because you can, you can really be scientific 
when you have the kind of scale that that we have, you can have a theory and run an experiment and, and learn a lot about what people really uh, want compared to your theories. But in the early days, we were just going almost entirely on on our own intuition. So how did you know and when did you know you guys hit product market fit and how did you know whether to keep going or not? You know, I, I mentioned that we had launched this first version of the product that it was kind of like a prototype and you could, uh, you know, you could ask a question or you could, uh, you could answer a question, but you couldn't really browse other people's answers. It wasn't oriented around that. And I think you could say we didn't have product market fit with that product. And it was, even though people were using it, I don't know if there's really a, a good like principle I could give you. It, it, it just, it, um, it felt like it wasn't quite working. And I think if we had allowed people to invite other people into that product, it probably just would have fizzled out. Um, with the product that we, we rebuilt it into that was oriented around reading other people's answers, it was, it, it was just clear that there was a lot of demand for it. You know, people were inviting their friends. People were, um, they were spending a lot of time on it. We were getting a lot of positive feedback from, from our friends. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I don't always like the concept of product market fit because it's not a well-defined term. Um, but, you know, I, I do think this kind of like whether a product is working or not is it, it does end up being kind of binary and it, it was something we could, we could really feel from, from the early users. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So, um, at some point you guys had to raise capital, um, because yeah, you, you need a large user base to be able to turn on revenue and, and all of that side of things. Can you talk us through that journey a little bit and, and when you decided and yeah. Yeah, so you know, I, I think we were lucky, but at the time in 2010, it was actually still kind of, uh, I don't know, there was like a, some kind of economic, you know, there's a 2008 financial crisis and then the consumer internet just didn't have a lot of investment activity happening, but it also didn't have a lot of companies getting started. And, and so I actually think there was, there was almost like a supply demand imbalance where there were a lot of investors actually at the time, like looking for things. And one of the things that happened to us early on was that investors started using Quora um, and Quora really caught on with the, the startup community in, in Silicon Valley. And I, I think um, things may be different today, but at the time there was, there was a real lack of knowledge around like how to start a company or how to deal with different things that come up when you're starting a company um, on, available on the internet or, or even anywhere, you know, just you couldn't read a textbook that would be useful or there, were, there wasn't a lot of books you could read. The product actually ended up being very useful for the kind of investor and entrepreneur community community. And that made a lot of investors aware of it. Um, so, so we had a lot of inbound interest from, uh, from those investors. And uh, we ended up deciding to go with uh, Matt Kohler at Benchmark Capital. Uh, and then, so we, we raised a series A around the, I think in May of 2010 um, from him. We were, you know, we were lucky to, to have this, this inbound interest. Okay, look, uh, we'll work towards wrapping up and then we're going to move to the hot seat round. Um, Two-part question. Uh, 
What's been your most fulfilling achievement thus far at Quora? And then also what's been your biggest learning? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have like a, a specific, you know, I, I think just being able to create this platform and get it to this scale and the, the knowledge that um, everyone has access to now is that that's, that's just personally very motivating to me. I think, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm lucky to have, to be alive at a, a time in history when I have, you know, I developed the skill naturally that this, what started out as a hobby turns out to be a, a, a thing you can use to really make a big impact on the world. And, but it depends on the, all this technology that was built up over you know, millennia. Um, and, and so I, I feel lucky because of that. And, you know, I feel like, what should I do with this luck? I, I, I want to give back to society in, in some way and make sure I use the skills and, um, you know, resources that I have to, to, to make sure I can, I can contribute to, to future generations. So, um, so that, you know, I, I think it was kind of repayment to, to society. Um, and, and I think, I think, you know, I think a lot of people in a position like mine, they, they go through a similar kind of thought process. And then one of the things you'll see people do is like they write a book. Um, that's a way to, to give back to, to the world. Um, and, you know, that never really appealed to me that much, but I, I've, I've always felt that with internet platforms, the kind of power you have and the, the potential you can unlock is, is just so much higher than doing things directly yourself. Um, so, you know, when I look at all the knowledge shared on Quora, it's just so much more than I could ever have done for the world if I, if I tried to write um, a book myself or, or, you know, or just, just share my knowledge on, on a blog or, or whatever. Um, so that's, um, you know, that, that's, that's generally, I think that's fulfilling for me. I think we have, you know, one example I was thinking about recently, we have a, an employee from, uh, India who he grew up in, in a small town in, in India. And he, he mentioned that growing up in a small town in India, he had, he had really no idea of what the options were in the world. Um, but through browsing Quora, he kind of learned that he could, you know, he could study hard and he could go to an IIT and he could, um, you know, he could eventually get to, to Silicon Valley through that path. And so, and he did that and, and he just, you know, he was just absolutely certain without Quora, like he would not have, you know, he might still be in that town or he, um, he definitely wouldn't be, have, you know, have had the, this potential unlocked the way that it was for him. So I think that's, um, you know, there, there's, there's lots of those stories out there and in aggregate, those are, um, those, those are really motivating for, for me. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's so cool. Yeah. Look, I, I know from my own personal experiences, when I have like startup questions or business questions, oftentimes when I type them, they, they end up in Quora, I mean, in Quora and, and the experiences people share are very raw and rich, which, uh, is really, really cool. Okay. So, um, look, uh, Next question, just a few more for you. Um, as I said, we're going to go to the hot seat round. Um, so if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I think I, I, um, I really look up to Andy Grove. Uh, and he, uh, you know, his, his writing has been very helpful to me. Um, so I, I think that's who I'd pick. Lastly, how often do you jump in and answer questions and share experiences yourself on Quora? And do you have 
any kind of favorite question or notable answer that you'd like to share? Uh, so I, I wrote an answer a few days ago. I kind of, um, you know, depending on how much time I have, you know, away from just like my specific responsibility running the company, I'll, I'll jump in and, and write more or less. It, it, it varies a lot, even year to year. Uh, favorite question or answer. I don't, I don't actually have anything off the top of my head. I, I really enjoyed one. This was a long time ago. I enjoyed an answer. There's a question about why is water transparent? And uh, this guy wrote an answer. Uh, this guy who's an, who's a biologist. Uh, he wrote an answer saying, basically he thinks water is transparent because eyes like so like in organisms eyes eyes evolved in water right so like the the first organisms that had eyes were were in water and you know for an eye to be useful it needs to to not see the um you know the the medium that it's in it needs to be able to see through that so so his theory is basically water is transparent because because of that historical path that that evolution took um, and you know, and if if eyes had evolved, you know, on land, then maybe maybe water would not be transparent as far as the the optics. Um, so I, I, I thought that was like particularly um, eye opening. <laughs> Pardon the pun. There you go. <laughs> yeah, not not intended. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, Adam, we will wrap there. Conscious of your time, thank you so much uh, for being just so open, honest, raw with your answers and sharing your incredible experiences. Um, yeah, this is really going to help our community. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, look, our team will be in touch. They'll, they'll work with your team to make sure any post-production or you guys are cool with it all. So yeah, thank you again. And uh, hope you have a great evening. Okay. Thank you too. Yeah. Th thanks so much for, for hosting me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.